ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 43 of the MMA podcast that brings you fight and talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head. I'm a British mixed martial arts journalist from here in the southeast of England. And as you can probably hear, this one is coming from a pub. It's coming from a pub in Rochester. The Golden Lion uh, is just too hot to be indoors on a day like this. We're in the middle of a heat wave, which for those of you outside of the UK basically means any day that has sun. And uh, we're enjoying the sun right now. Unfortunately, not enjoying the sun with me today is my sparring partner, Chamak Sandu. He has some other business to attend to. So uh, fingers crossed we will see him back on the pod next week. But uh, there's too much to talk about to go another week without an episode of the show. So here we are, uh, flying solo from the Golden Line here in Rochester. We'll kick things off with a bit of UFC Singapore uh, reaction. Then we'll look at your questions this week to us at the Britpack MMA. We will talk about some of the biggest stories of the week, most notably Jermaine Durandamy being stripped of a UFC Women's Featherweight Championship belt. Megan Anderson taking on Chris Cyborg for the newly vacated title. And of course, uh, you might have heard about it, Floyd Mayweather is set to take on Conor McGregor. It's official. August the 26th in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, and the whole world has gone absolutely doolally for this fight. We will talk a bit about that. Uh, then we'll look ahead to UFC Fight Night in Oklahoma before we get out of here for another week on what hopefully will be an abridged version of the show. So let's kick things off UFC Fight Night Singapore. Holly Holm against Bej Kohaya in the main event. Huge head kick knockout from Holly Holm. Bej Kohaya, not the most likable. Uh, women's bantamweight fighter in the UFC I think it's pretty fair to say and um, Holly really put an exclamation mark uh, or maybe a question mark uh, on the victory it was a question mark kick that got the knockout she brought the kick up as if she's going to go to the body then switched it up mid mid kick landed it squarely across the face of Bechko Haya dropping her to her knees and then finished her with a huge left hook which uh, sent her just completely flat out on the mat there was an awful lot of pent-up frustration in that finish from Holly Holm. Um, it was a long time coming. She hadn't won, uh, certainly hadn't won decisively since she knocked out Ronda Rousey at the UFC 193 back in Melbourne. That's nearly two years ago now. Uh, she was desperate for a win because she lost her belt to Misha Tate at UFC 196 and uh, has been struggling to get back in title contention again. Obviously, she competed for the featherweight belt in that inaugural championship fight uh, against Jermaine Durandamy, lost controversially. Uh, there were some uh, clear after the bell shots landed by Jermaine Durandamy. Home lost the decision, appealed it, or was going to appeal it, and there's been nothing happened since then. Uh, but she's come back uh, with a vengeance against Betch Kohaya. Where does it put Holly in the division? I think it puts her right back up there in championship contention at 135. I also think it renews her contendership at 145, um, given that the division is so thin. It makes sense that Holly might well be the next person in line to take on the winner of Megan Anderson versus Chris Cyborg when that fight goes down at UFC 214. As for Betchka then, really, I think she's been relegated to the role of divisional gatekeeper if she wasn't already there. I think... Uh, She's the Chow Sonnen of the women's bantamweight division. She's great at getting herself into big fights, but not so great when it comes to winning them. She got herself into a big fight with Ronda Rousey and uh, went to extremes of trash talking that really were 
beyond the pale when it came to bringing Rouse's dead father into the equation. Not very classy at all, and she got, in many people's minds, and mine as well, I've got to be honest, her just desserts when she got face-planted by Ronda Rousey in that matchup. And uh, there was a little bit of uh, little bit of needle going on in the match with Holly Holm as well. Uh, the pair of them have both been warned for timidity by referee Mark Goddard. And uh, Kahaya, shortly after that, started putting her hands down and almost mocking Holly as if to say, well, you're not really coming forward, are you? Um, I don't know whether it was just to try and goad Holly forward or whether it was to try and draw another warning from referee Mark Goddard or maybe even a point deduction. Whatever tactic it was, it failed miserably because seconds after that, Holly Holm landed that huge question mark kick uh, and finished Betch Kahaya right in the middle of the octagon. The co-main event saw Marcin Tabura, the Polish, uh, rising Polish heavyweight prospect, defeating the former UFC heavyweight champion Andrzej Arlowski by decision. Strong performance from Tabura, bags in the biggest scalp of his UFC career. The big question after that, of course, is, is this the end of Andrzej the Pitbull Arlowski as a top-level UFC heavyweight? It's hard to imagine him getting too many big fights after this one. Um, he's taken a lot of damage in the octagon, and you can't help but wonder if the UFC might just let let him go. Um, if they do, you can imagine Bellator would find a home for him. You could imagine Rising would certainly find a home for him. So if he did want to continue his career, I don't doubt for a moment that there will be options on the table for Andrzej the Pitbull Arlowski. But as a legitimate contender in the UFC heavyweight division, I fear that those days may now be behind the ex-UFC heavyweight champion. As for Marcin Tabura, that was a really big win. As I say, the biggest win of his career. I really wanted to see him paired up with Derek Lewis. I, like from a from a, a standpoint of Lewis coming off a loss to Mark Hunt, Tabura moving his way up with a win over Arlovsky. I think the matchup makes sense. But of course, Derek Lewis has announced he's retired. So... I don't really know what we're going to do with Marcin Tibera next. Uh, you can bet they'll look to get him on that Gdansk card later this year, fighting on home soil. Um, they might even look to squeeze him in before then, maybe a late summer, late summer fight possibly. Um, but yeah, I don't really know how far Tibera can go in that heavyweight division, if I'm honest. I'm not sure. He certainly doesn't fit the same sort of profile as someone like Francis Ngannou, who looks like He's got all the skills to go all the way in that division. I don't think Tabura has that uh, in his locker. So uh, we'll see what happens with Marcin Tabura. I would expect him to stay on the uh, the international fight cards rather than add it to the big Vegas shows and uh, maybe look to build him on the European circuit and certainly on that show in Gdansk. Someone else who's looking to move his way up and he's made no bones about the fact he wants a title shot is Colby Covington. Uh, the man they call Chaos, producing a really strong performance. One of the more impressive performances of his career, to be honest, to beat Dong Hyun Kim. Dong Hyun Kim is huge at 170 pounds. He is an absolute monster of a 170 pounder. Big, strong, very difficult to, to move around the cage. He's got that judo base. Covington did a great job when he mixed up his striking, which is getting better every time we see him. With his wrestling, which of course we know all about. Um, and uh, did the business, picked up the win that he really wanted and then went went mad on the microphone calling for title shots and all this sort of stuff. He's not going to get put in a title fight ahead of the likes of Lawler, Wonderboy, all these guys. So he needs to be fighting one of those guys in order to really cement himself as a legit top contender. Um, Matt Brown would be an interesting matchup for him. Um, but the fight I'd love to see him 
in next is against Platinum Mike Perry. I think stylistically it would make for a great matchup. I think from a promotional standpoint it makes for a great matchup. I think they would be an ideal main event for one of the smaller regional fight night shows that the UFC hold in the States. Or it could even be a really strong uh, promotional co-main for one of the larger fight night shows or uh, a solid main card addition to a pay-per-view. But uh, that would be the match I'd like to make. Colby Covington versus Mike Platinum Perry. Um, what we do know is Covington is not backwards and coming forwards in terms of telling people what he wants. So uh, he likes to stay active. He's a really, really le- solid competitor, legit athlete. And um, he's someone who's making some waves at 170. Someone else who wants to make waves at 170 is a former UFC lightweight champion of the world, Rafael Dos Anjos, who jumped in at 170 for his welterweight debut and picked up a maiden victory against Tarek Safadine, who, of course, has been in those 170-pound rankings pretty much ever since they were set up. Saradine pushed him hard at points in that fight. It was a strong competitive matchup. Dosan just got the win, deservedly so, but didn't look spectacular. I think he would have been hoping for a finish to really put the division on notice. That didn't really happen. So, interested to see what they do with RDA next. Because at 170, whoever you get, they're going to be a real tough out if you're moving up from 155. Speaking of 155, I can't help wondering if we might soon see Takanori Gomi released by the UFC he took on John Tuck this weekend in Singapore and suffered his fourth consecutive loss a first round submission and that marked not only his fourth consecutive loss it was his fourth consecutive first round loss which doesn't make for good reading on your fighting CV that's four in a row he's lost five out of the last six he's lost and his total UFC career reads four and eight inside the octagon so that is not the most stellar record for a guy who used to hold a world championship in what was then the biggest promotion in the world, Pride Fighting Championships. Um, maybe they'll keep him on because they're looking to make a bit of a promotional push over there in in, uh, in Asia. Maybe they can make some use of him in Japan. But you've got to think that they're going to need to drop him down in competition in order to keep him relevant and uh, keep him competitive. He doesn't look the same level of competitor that he was when we saw him in Pride. Uh, also in action on Fight Night was the big ticket Walt, uh, sorry, sorry, Walt Harris looking really good against Cyril Asker Walker Sasaki really turned the tables on Justin Scoggins who looked really good uh, in the early part of the fight looked like he was dominating all fight week he was talking about what he was going to do how he was going to really push his claims as the next big contender at £125 and was doing a pretty good job of it until he went to the mat with Sasaki who is, uh, has got some sneaky good submissions and uh, Sasaki put him away with a submission towards the end of that fight and Li Jingliang put on an absolute cracker of a contest with Frank Camacho to, to uh, pick up the fight of the night bonus 50 G's going away of both Li Jingliang and Frank Camacho and richly deserved for both men it was too that was UFC fight night in Singapore Let's take a look at some of your questions now. We've had a few questions sent to us via our Twitter account, at the Britpack MMA. You can tweet them to us whenever you want. We'll make a note of them and try and answer as many as we can um, on each show. First off, Mickey92764. His name just says Be Happy, so we'll call him that. This is more of a comment. He just said, I was a big fan of Colby Covington before Singapore. 
but is winning John Fitch style short-sighted in terms of getting fans and getting paid? Well, I think right now he just wants to move up the ranks. I think you've got to put yourself into a position where you're fighting the big guys. And if you can start beating the big guys, then I think how you do it is almost unimportant. You need to you need to prove that you're legit. The difference between Colby and someone like John Fitch, while they both have that grinding style, Colby has that edgy personality that sort of adds to, adds to that, if you like. The fact that it's not just... You look at Charles Sonnen. Charles Sonnen's not an exciting fighter to watch. He's just a, a ground-and-pound wrestler. Um, he's not got much in the stand-up department. He just takes you down and smashes you until the fight's over. Um, not much difference there, but people love Chad because he talks. Colby talks as well, but he, he's uh, he's pretty uh, rough around the edges and he doesn't care who he upsets. But, uh, yeah, I think because of that, he's always going to be a good foil for somebody. Um, so I'm interested to see how far he goes. He's certainly got the talent. And uh, if he keeps working his striking game, which to me seems to get better every time we see him, then hopefully we'll see an even better, even more well-rounded Kobe Covington by the time he reaches the top, because that certainly seems to be where he's headed right now. His next fight is going to be, I would assume, the biggest test of his career. And it'll be interesting to see if he can pass that, hopefully against top 10 opposition. Uh, same guy, Mickey, has tweeted again. What are your thoughts on the Jermaine Durandamy situation? Will she be remembered as the worst UFC champion in history? Well, sitting here right now, I'm struggling to think of a worse one. You think what happened? She won an inaugural championship belt in a division that only had two people in it, her and Holly Holm. She won. She won very, very narrowly, and she won controversially because there were late strikes in two of the rounds uh, from her that perhaps, with a different referee, could have resulted in points deductions that would have sent... Well, basically would have put the result on its head. She then took herself out of action. Uh, she needed uh, injuries re Having, so that took her out of the equation then. And then, upon her return to fitness, declared that she wasn't going to uh, fight Chris Seibel. Basically just flat out refused to fight. And that was the fight that the UFC offered. She refused the fight. So the UFC have decided that, um, you know, if Jermaine Durandamy isn't going to play ball, they're going to take the ball away. And uh, Jermaine Durandamy now finds herself as an ex-champion without having thrown a punch as champion. So it's a mess. It's disappointing. And for someone who actually is a really, really nice person, if you, if you actually meet her and chat to her, she's had a terrible press in the last six months, what with the way the fight with Holly Holm went down and the subsequent things that have happened since. She's, she's actually a re as, as nice a person as you'll meet in the sport. But unfortunately, all of this has panned out terribly for her. It's done her reputation an enormous amount of damage. Any goodwill towards her is being pretty much erased at this point. Um, but we also have to look at the situation of the UFC cutting down that quickly on a champion when Michael Bisbing hasn't fought a top 10 opponent yet. Conor McGregor hasn't defended a single championship despite having been champion since December 2015. Um, the difference here, of course, is that Bisbing and McGregor, to the best of our knowledge, haven't turned fights down. They've always accepted the fights that they've been offered. Jermaine Durandamy's first fight as champion, she flatly refused. So, while there are clearly political things going on as well, 
I think if you're refusing to fight the clear number one contender, you're not giving yourself much of a much of a basis for argument. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I have a huge amount of sympathy for Jermaine Durandamy in this in this instance. Uh, Mark Fellows, considering that many true fight fans will be priced out of attending McGregor versus Mayweather, what atmosphere do you expect on fight night? This is a really interesting question. Um, when Mayweather fought, um, when Mayweather fought Manny Pacquiao, there were sixteen and a half thousand tickets went on sale or uh, available, and I understand that only fifteen hundred of them went on general sale. So they meant that the public basically couldn't get in. Um, I, I fear that we will see a similar situation here. Uh, I also fear that all the Irish fans that come over, hoping to support Connor, won't get anywhere near the arena, and that that would be a sad, a sad thing. If they can get to the weigh-ins, I think they'll make the weigh-ins uh, a more raucous atmosphere than the fight nights. The fight nights will be full of well-heeled people from Vegas and a job lot of sports stars and celebrities, um, and there won't be that many legitimate fans there and if that's the case I think that would be very sad um, we'll have to see how that pans out so I don't even know if it's a pricing out issue I mean obviously there is a price issue but I think the main thing will be uh, an availability issue to be honest there's only uh, there's only about 20,000 seats going to be available anyway and if they give 15,000, 16,000 of them to uh, celebs and make them available for premium prices then the real fans aren't going to get in and that would be that would be a shame Stephen Murray uh, the best cards for finishes are cards that Sandu MMA doesn't get excited for <coughs> digging out Sandu I like this especially when he's not here to defend himself is he excited for UFC 213 right okay so if we say that he is excited for UFC 213 then that means that UFC 213 is going to suck so I'm going to turn around, I'm going to speak for Sandu here, and I'm sure he'll appreciate this when I say, Sandu's not that bothered about UFC 213. Um, he's not that interested in any of the fights, and he thinks they're all going to go to decision. That should pretty much appease the MMA gods, and we should get a night pack full of finishes. That's the official um, Brit Pack MMA line for Mr. Chimakar Sandu. I've, I've become his official spokesperson. Um, where are we now? What do we have next? David Allen, former head of UFC Europe, has, uh, has graced us with his presence. What would Mark Goddard have done if the two girls didn't engage after he told them to at the weekend? Deduct a point from each, pointless. Well, here's the thing, Dave. It's If you're the ref, you've got to apply the rules. There are, you know, There's a rule set that everybody has to follow. And just because both fighters don't follow the rule set, it doesn't mean you just let it go. You know, if if if, if I'm fighting someone and I hit someone in the nuts and get penalised for it, and then someone else, you know, my, and then my opponent hits me in the nuts, he should get penalised for it as well. So I think the issue here is both fighters were showing timidity. He called them both to the middle of the octagon, and he explained that he needed them to he needed them to do a little bit more. Now, I think once you've, once you've made that warning, the likelihood is at least one of them is going gonna, is gonna to up their game a little bit because they're not going to want to lose a point. The other one, if, if, if one of them doesn't, then they'll obviously lose a point the next time. It's unlikely that both of them will continue not, not engaging. And if they do, they do. You, then, yeah, you do deduct a point off both of them because that's the rules. 
But I think the issue with this is, you know, it's unlikely that both fighters will continue to be timid after a warning. If they both warrant one, then they should both get one. But it also means that it may become a factor for one of them later in the fight. But not necessarily both of them. So if they both warrant a warning at that instance, they both get a warning. And then if, if one of them then goes and does something later in the fight, then obviously they've already got that first warning on their record and then they're penalised appropriately. So I don't think... I honestly think that Goddard called that spot on. I think he did it very well. Um, to me, personally, I think he's the best referee um, in mixed martial arts right now. I think he's the most consistent. Um, I think he communicates with the fighters better than the other referees. I think he makes it very clear to the fighters. He makes it very clear to the people watching by being vocal. He, you know, He vocalises what he's doing very well. So it gets picked up on the microphone so the viewers get to know what's going on. It's quite interesting, you know, if you're used to be involved in football, Dave, and I know a lot of people watching are big football fans, quite often when you see referees making decisions in football or in rugby, half the time it's a case of, well, what's he giving that decision for? What's, you know, because they're not, mic- they're, not always, they're not always mic'd up. In rugby they are these days, so we tend to learn a little bit more. But in football, it's a guessing game sometimes. But I think... I think the way Goddard goes about his business is, is, is as good as anybody in the world right now. Um, and it's good to have a British referee really representing on the top stage. And on that particular instance, I think he got it spot on. I don't think you can preempt stuff. You just call what you see. If both people deserve a warning, you give them both a warning. What else have we got here? What else have we got here? Let's scroll down. Um, okay, here we go question from Nathan Clapson uh, who's next for dad bod extraordinaire Dan Kelly he's 6-1 and one and calling for a ranked opponent would you favour him in any matchup against a top 10 opponent short answer no um, I think I think you'd give him someone like Tim Boach next Tim Boach is is uh, up up for a fight next weekend he's taking on Johnny Hendricks at at middleweight in the co-main event in Oklahoma. If Tim Boach loses to Johnny Hendricks, I think that's the natural, the natural next fight to make. I think that that fight makes a lot of sense to me. Um, other than that, you're really dropping him down to unranked opponents, um, and maybe you know you make obviously you make sure he's on those cards down there in Australia and New Zealand. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I mean he's had a, he's had a great run. He's had an amazing run. But uh, I don't think it's going to last too much longer now. I think uh, he may well have to. He may well have to drop, drop it down. Uh, a tweet that's come in while I've been recording uh, from Marcel Albecker. Uh, according to the SSE Arena website, there is a 185-pound title fight at Bama London. Is this true? Well, I noticed this. The press release that we got, almost word for word, contained what you can see on that. Uh, on that ticket page on the SSE website except for that paragraph about the title fight so I don't know whether something has happened and that title fight has been scrapped um, or whether it's a case of they were holding it back and the people at SSE uh, Arena have jumped the gun and published the wrong thing I don't know something somewhere is, is, has gone a little awry um, but uh Hopefully we will get a 185 pound title fight at Bama London. That would be great to see. I think I think that would be a, a nice addition, um, especially after 
after we saw that that championship won last time out in uh, in Birmingham. So fingers crossed we do get that. Uh, I'm sure all will be cleared up in the coming days and weeks. In fact, you know, before this podcast goes out, we may even have an answer to that. That is pretty much it for the Q&A part of the show. So let's very quickly talk about the two big stories of the week. Let's talk about Jermaine Durandamy. Touched upon it very briefly in the Q&A there. The statement that came out from the UFC reads thus. UFC has informed Jermaine Durandamy and her management team that she is being removed as the women's featherweight champion due to her unwillingness to fight the number one ranked contender, Chris Cyborg Justino. Subsequently, top contender Justino will face newly signed in Victor FC featherweight champion Megan Anderson for the UFC women's featherweight title. In the co-main event of UFC 214, Cormier v. Jones 2, July 29th in Anaheim, California. UFC maintains that any champion is expected to accept fights against the top contenders in their respective weight classes in order to maintain the integrity of the sport. Now, what an interesting reading statement that is. Taken in isolation, that makes 100% sense. Durandamy refused to fight Cyborg. Um, and as a champion, you can't really refuse to fight the top contender. So from, if you're looking at it purely in isolation, that makes sense. But there's more to this than that. Michael Bisbing, as I said, has been champion for a calendar year. Hasn't defended against the top 10 ranked middleweight yet. He fought Dan Henderson, and now he looks like he's going to fight GSP. But his hand wasn't forced. He was, to the best of our knowledge, he was never told that he had to fight the number one contender, Yoel Romero in this case. Likewise, Conor McGregor, he's held an undisputed UFC World Championship ever since he knocked out Jose Aldo in December 2015. He's never defended a championship. Hear that again. He's never defended a UFC world title. But he's never been forced to. Or he's never been told to. And that's that's the thing. That's the difference. Bisbing and McGregor are not a direct comparison here. That's your difference. Jermaine Durandamy was, was presented with a, a fight that she just had to sign and then make. And she, and she refused. Throw into the fact, uh, sorry, throw into the mix the fact that uh, Holly Holm was in the eyes of many dealt a pretty harsh hand when she got beat by Jermaine. What with the, the shots after the bell, it was a close fight anyway. Then throw in the fact that Cyborg has uh, fallen foul of anti doping regulations as recently as her last fight. Um, and it looks, it looks to me like there's a real push to get Cyborg into a title fight. Um, the UFC needs big stars right now. Cyborg with a championship belt would be an, a really big draw for them, especially in Brazil. So I can understand why the UFC want to do that. And I understand why they're looking to force things. But it's interesting when they're making this stance with Jermaine Durandamy, yet they're actively trying to push Demetrius Johnson away from that very situation of taking on the top available contender of Ray Borg in order to take a fight with TJ Dillashaw, who has zero relevance as a UFC flyweight. So it does, there is some element of double standards there. Uh, talking about maintaining the integrity of the sport, that absolutely should be the UFC's priority. The safety of the athletes, the well-being of the athletes, and the integrity of the sport should be absolutely top of their list. Now, 
it appears that they're playing slightly different rules with slightly different weight classes and that that really shouldn't be the case so um, we'll see how things pan out but uh, I find it hard to be that sympathetic to Jermaine Durandamy's situation right now um, and I just hope that everything sorts itself out uh, and can move on because we've had too many weight classes being held up for non non-sporting reasons almost we just need to we need to get everything moving again because once all of the weight divisions start moving the UFC will start doing better business um, that was Jermaine Durandamy let's talk about the other big story Conor McGregor versus Floyd Money Mayweather the fight is on August 26th Las Vegas, Nevada at we believe we believe the T-Mobile Arena now I say believe it's been announced as being a T-Mobile Arena. It was initially reported that it was thought to be the MGM Grand, but when it was announced, it was announced officially as the T-Mobile Arena. It has since come out that the T-Mobile Arena is already booked, and it ain't booked for the Mayweather-McGregor fight. It's booked for the Big Three championship game. Now, the Big Three is a three-on-three -three basketball league uh, owned and run by rap legend Ice Cube. Um, they've got that event uh, scheduled on the T-Mobile Arena for August the 26th so much so that they have been running displays on the big uh, LED board on the arena itself promoting the fact and uh, Big 3 Twitter account actually tweeted that out uh, I think the day of or the day after the McGregor Mayweather announcement Ice Cube has since come out and said uh, I'm sure we can get something done but they're going to basically, you know, they're going to have to make him happy first. That's a thinly veiled, basically, give me a load of money and then I'll let you have the date. So um, we will see how all that pans out. There's a suggestion that the big three could switch to the MGM, which uh, I believe is available that day. So we'll see how it all pans out. Hopefully everything will be okay and uh, everyone's a winner and Ice Cube will probably pocket a few extra dollars into the bargain which uh, is no bad thing so uh, yeah that aside we have ourselves a fight and it's interesting because I've been writing some stuff this week I've been writing some stuff for BBC Sport for BBC Three Independent uh, I've been on Talk Sport talking about it and it's really interesting to to read and to hear the differences of opinion and understanding where those differences of opinion are coming from you can almost split them directly into two camps there is the camp of the, the boxing traditionalists who have no interest in mixed martial arts aren't that keen on Conor McGregor they're not giving Conor a cat in hell's chance um, and, and you know they're calling, the, they're calling the fight a disgrace they're calling it a farce then you've got the people who are aware of Conor McGregor, they know what he can do, they have a respect for him. They're saying he could do it, it's unlikely, but he could do it. And within that group there are a few that said he's got a good chance. But uh, they're in the very small minority. Now I'm in this group, I'm obviously from the, the MMA side, I used to cover a bit of boxing when I was at the Mirror, but Conor doesn't have zero chance, but he's not got much more than that. Um, Max Kellerman who I have a lot of time for and, and a lot of respect for as a boxing pundit uh, went on first take on ESPN and said that McGregor has exactly a 0% chance of beating Floyd and cited the example of a water polo player 
taking on someone like Michael Phelps in a swimming race. Um, because the water polo player has the ability and the skill to swim and to swim strongly at a professional sporting level. But they also have other skills that they need for their, for their, for their particular sport. And he equated that. And you know, it, was, it, was, it was a fair comparison and a, a well-articulated one. But he suggested that Phelps would win every single race. You run, you run him a hundred times, he'll win a hundred. You can't say that. Phelps could, Phelps could get injured. He could pull a muscle. He could have a false start. Um, could get disqualified for an illegal turn. Um, all of these things could happen. There are still variables, despite the clear discrepancy in skill in the discipline that they're competing over. There are still. There are still areas where the overwhelming favourite can slip up by accident, through injury, through disqualification, whatever. And that's exactly what we have here with Mayweather-McGregor. Because in a straight-up boxing match, this fight is barely sanctionable. 49-0 versus 0-0. If you just took the numbers on a piece of paper and said, we've got a 49-0 guy wants to fight an 0-0 guy, will you sanction it? You'll struggle to find an athletic commission anywhere in the world who'll sanction that fight. But it's not just a 49-0 guy against an 0-0 guy. It's Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. It's a super fight. It's a multi-multi-million dollar fight. And an awful lot of people are going to get very rich from it, including the Nevada Athletic Commission, who are going to pick up, pick up some, serious, some serious wedge through staging the fight in their state. So... It, it's more of an exhibition. I don't call it a farce. I don't call it a joke. I see it more as an exhibition fight. There's an argument that it shouldn't really count towards Floyd Mayweather's professional record because he's technically not fighting a professional boxer because McGregor hasn't fought yet. So it's it is a completely lopsided contest. But there's always those two words in professional combat sport: what if. And uh, I'm an O&O boxer myself, by the way. I've never boxed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've, I, I'm not a professional sportsman, though, so McGregor has an infinitely higher chance than I would stepping in with Floyd Mayweather. And that's what a lot of boxing people aren't, getting, aren't, aren't grasping. Is Yeah, it's a specialist skill. Yes, McGregor doesn't have that level of skill. But respect what he does have. He's an elite sportsman. He's finely tuned. He's an elite combat sportsman who's won world championships uh, in two weight classes in arguably the toughest combat sport in the world where you have to be not just a striker, you need to be good everywhere. And there's a certain level of commitment required for that. There's a certain element of uh, teachability required for that. There's a certain amount of skill involved in that. And I think to throw all of that out and say he has zero chance... Is totally disrespectful. Um, he has a chance. It's very slim, but he has a chance. Let him have that chance. Credit him with that much. Uh, that's all I would say. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this fight the closer we get to it. But I thought I'd just chuck my early take in because uh, there's an awful lot of sensationalism going on, and uh, not all of it is as informed as it's being purported to be. Let's let's take it for what it is. It's a mismatch. But does McGregor have a puncher's chance? Of course he does. Of course he does. But he needs to get that big left hand onto Mayweather's chin somehow. And therein lies the challenge. And I look forward to seeing how it all pans out. The press conferences, I think, will be more entertaining than the fight. 
but I'll be watching all of it with uh, with, with great interest and uh, we'll see how he gets on let's kick things on to the final bit of this week's show and thank you so much for joining us uh, as I fly solo this week um, UFC Fight Night in Oklahoma Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Lee these two guys do not get along if you saw the uh, the, the big set piece press conference um, the summer kickoff press conference in Dallas they really did put the kickoff into summer kickoff they kicked off on the stage Kevin Lee was just talking trash but actually the thing that sparked it all seemed complete, completely innocent to me uh, he made a pretty non sort of inoffensive comment about Michael Chiesa's mum and Chiesa who I've, I've met in the past at UFC events I've spent a little bit of time with him in, in Rotterdam when he was a guest fighter over there he's the most chilled out guy you could possibly meet he's really nice calm chilled out personable guy but just a mere mention of his mum sent him off the deep end and it was quite remarkable to see really uh, and uh, he was effing and jeffing at Kevin Lee then he charged across the stage at him and Lee just wasn't bothered at all just stepped up and threw a big right hand before security Steve and the rest of the UFC security team were able to jump in and separate them this is a fight with a little bit of heat behind it it's a fight that between two guys who potentially could find themselves challenging for a championship belt within the next 18 months or so if they're successful um, Michael Chiesa's got that brilliant submission game Kevin Lee's got that legit wrestling game and seems to be coming into his own now it's a fascinating contest and I'm really looking forward to it um, I think the fight will be decided in the transition when Kevin Lee is shooting for takedowns uh, Chiesa's got an excellent guillotine he's got superb submissions off his back and how he reacts to Kevin Lee shooting him for takedowns if he's able to lock something up as Lee shoots in then uh, you could see Chiesa taking full advantage and getting a submission win but if he can't Lee's dominance in that top position could well help him grind out a win so fascinating contest a good main event uh, and uh, for the guys on the ground over there in, in, in Oklahoma they're going to get some good stuff pre-fight I would imagine uh, Kevin Lee seems to be absolutely loving the spotlight right now Michael Chiesa is a, a fascinating story as well um, so do be sure to check out the pre-fight content on the major outlets as we lead up to that one uh, the co-main event Tim Boach we mentioned him a little bit earlier taking on Johnny Hendricks this is a fight for legitimacy really whoever loses this is um, going to find themselves basically falling right down the order in the 185 pound division Hendricks wants to really push himself at that division and to do that he's got to beat a tough durable guy in Tim Boach uh, we've got Felice Herrig back in action and it's Justine Kish we've not seen that much of Justine Kish since the ultimate fighter she's still undefeated but she hasn't fought regularly enough to be considered a legit contender at 115 pounds she could yet become that um, so we'll see how she gets something it's Felice Herrig who's a real veteran of the sport and uh, looked pretty good last time uh, light heavyweight bout Joaquin Christensen is taking on Dominic Reyes now Dominic Reyes is a name that may be familiar to some of you there was a clip that went viral on the internet a couple of weeks back from uh, an LFA event where a fighter was taunting his opponent uh, for his punches not hurting him and then his opponent then threw this huge left high kick knocking, knocking him spark out instantly and the man who threw that kick was Dominic Reyes who has now been handed a late notice call up 
to slot into that main card and take in uh, take on sorry Joachim Christensen. So look out for him, Dominic Reyes on that main card. Uh, remarkable rise to prominence for him after going viral just two or three weeks ago. Uh, great world's weight contest. Tim Means against Alex Garcia. That'll be worth watching. Means always brings it. Garcia on his days a really tough, tough operator at 170 as well. That could be a potential fight in the night contender. And the main card opens with the legend himself, BJ Penn, against Dennis Siva. This was a fight that should have been made instead of the Yair Rodriguez fight, um, which was just horrible to watch. Uh, complete mismatch. I think this fight makes a lot more sense for BJ Penn. Uh, but if you can't beat Dennis Siva, you've got to think BJ Penn's done in the UFC. Prelim cards got Clay Guida versus Eric Koch at lightweight, two veterans of the UFC going at it. Vitor Miranda against uh, Marvin Vittori from Italy. Uh, Carla Sparza versus Marina Moroz. That could be uh, that could be a decent contest as well. Keep an eye out for that one. And Devin Powell versus Daryl Horcher. Then we've got three UFC fight pass prelims. Jared Gordon versus Michael Quinones. Josh Stansbury versus Jeremy Kimball and Tony Martin versus Johnny Case. That is UFC Fight Night Oklahoma. And that pretty much brings us to the end of episode number 43 of the Brit Pack. Thanks again for joining us. Check out our website, thebritpackmma.com. That brings you uh, all the past shows, the occasional blog, uh, everything you need to know, how to subscribe to the show. Everything you need is there. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you can do it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Acast. Follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. Follow me at Simon Head, and follow the show itself at the Brit Pack MMA. And that is also where you need to tweet your questions each week to the show. Thank you so much for joining us on this special solo edition of the Brit Pack. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Uh, don't forget, you can tweet us during the week. Uh, always available for a bit of a chinwag on uh, all things MMA. Uh, enjoy the fights and I'll speak to you next week. Yeah.